You're listening to Terrible Omens. I'm Elaine Gray. Chapter 12 It was sometimes hard for me to admit that I married a frat boy. Generally speaking, they weren't my type. I always thought they were trying a little too hard and weren't trying hard enough all at the same time. In the beginning, Darren seemed like a frat boy unicorn. He was so genuine and sincere. I assumed his blue-collar roots kept him grounded and gave him a depth that was missing from the rest of them. If that was ever true and not just the product of a hormonally deranged late-twenty-something mind, then it was definitely a case of transient unicornism. As he got older, his frat boy tendencies never faded away. They got stronger. He was a frat boy through and through. Whenever Darren's frat pack came to town, it was always a party, at least in Darren's mind. They had gone to school at Duquesne University in downtown Pittsburgh, the school that Darren liked to claim was almost Ivy League, making the frat boy thing even more impressive in his own mind. Since everybody knows that almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, it's easy to draw conclusions about the validity of his claim. It just made him look like an asshole. Ivy League or not, Duquesne was full of kids with money, which might have been the reason Darren had a gorilla-sized chip on his shoulder. Darren's family wasn't poor. They were just generationally blue-collar, which put Darren on the next-to-last rung on the financial success ladder, only ranking above the kids of campus employees who got to go there for free. I never cared much about any of it. My family was educated, but not wealthy. For the record, I'm a state school girl. My mind was set on making my own way in the world. I'm not sure how much it mattered to his frat brothers either, but I know that it bothered Darren. He spent a lot of time trying to belong, and his college credit card told the tale in numbers. Bar tabs can really add up over time. Out of school, it actually got worse. Darren was a doctor in private practice with a doctor wife. In his mind, we should have been rolling in money. Needless to say, we weren't, but whenever his bros came to town, it was all I could do to keep him from blowing out our credit cards on beer and shots. He never picked up a fine dining habit or the high-end dinner party bug. His thing was the bar and late-night sandwiches scene with a few live bands and some pool thrown in for extra entertainment. From where I sat, it looked like his friends loved to relive their glory days with good old Dank and then go home to their functional adult lives, secure with the notion that Darren would be there, bellied up to the bar and waiting for them whenever they needed a diversion. Not long after Beerpocalypse, the holidays rolled around again, which meant extra family time with Charlene and a little guilt from my parents down in Charlotte for not visiting very often. It also meant it was frat pack season. Our house on the south side was perfectly located for easy access to everything an aging frat boy on the prowl could want. Whenever someone sent up the frat signal, Darren would be right there in 30 minutes or less unless I was going, which slowed him down considerably. One night, Darren's closest frat friend, Riz, sent up the signal. Riz was a likable guy who had taken his time moving on from undergrad and the rigors of parentally funded unemployment. This time, though, Riz had started his first semester at a Caribbean medical school and looked very much like he was finally getting his shit together. When he called, Darren wasted no time. His brother-in-arms needed his support, so he set out down the icy, snow-covered steps toward Carson Street. I stayed home and went to bed. 
the doorbell woke me up. It wasn't a simple ring of the bell, but a repeating ding-dong, 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 followed by a pause, and then another round of ding-dong, ding-dong, ding-dong. I had been sound asleep, so it took me a minute to understand what I was hearing. It wasn't often that people came to the door and rang the bell, so it wasn't a sound that I was particularly used to hearing, and especially not in the middle of the night. Once I got my wits about me, I panicked. Something had to be wrong. Oh my God, it's the police, I thought to myself as I ran to the window. There was nothing unusual outside that I could see. No people, no police, no strange cars. There was only the repeating ding-donging of the doorbell. Then, a warbling cry emanated from the covered porch below. Baby, I heard. Baby! Ding-dong, 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 ding-dong. Baby, please! There was another long pause, and then, Baby! Baby! It was Darren, for sure. I ran down the stairs as fast as I could. If he kept up this kind of racket, the police might just show up after all. When I opened the door, Darren was standing there, wobbling back and forth like he had rocker bottoms for feet. Baby! Hee <laughs> He slurred and giggled. His feet rocked forward and he stumbled headfirst into the house, landing with his gut over the arm of the living room sofa and planting his face squarely into the sofa cushions. He giggled, hee-hee, into the upholstery. I couldn't catch my breath. My heart was slamming in my chest. The doorbell had freaked me out, the uncertainty had panicked me, and the drunk weeble-wobble asshole in front of me was really pissing me off. He had his key, but he couldn't work it. All he could do was stab at the doorbell and warble at the bedroom window. At least he hadn't driven, but if he was this bad, what the hell must Riz have looked like? I could only hope that he had the good sense to call a cab. Darren got himself up from the couch with an awkward fling that launched him back toward the entryway. His shoulder ricocheted off the door, sending his other shoulder into the adjacent wall. He scuffed his feet around and over themselves as he tried to balance and take off his jacket at the same time. On another day and at another time, this might have been funny or at least mildly amusing. This night, however, it was anything but... "'Baby,' he slurred. "'I'm so happy to see you.' He was that weird, drunk kind of happy that only happened when he was really inebriated. I wondered if he could feel even a tinge of self-pity and loathing. Or pity and self-loathing. Or had any hint of self-awareness at all, but I doubted it. He had reached full id mode, and it looked like the rest of the world could suck it.' I stood there silently, watching him stagger and stumble around in the entryway. He braced himself against the walls and pulled each boot off with the toe of the other foot before pushing off the wall and letting the weight of his head lead his body over to the stairs. He continued up the stairs, missing most of the steps as he clung to the rail and eventually making his way to the bed before he passed out. As I stood in the door to the kitchen watching Darren stumble up the stairs away from me, I realized the gnome was with me. He was standing in the moonlit kitchen a mere three feet away. Like before, I probably should have freaked out in some way at the sight of a fully formed gnome man standing inside my house in the dark, but I wasn't. I was oddly happy to see him. He didn't wave or speak. He was watching and listening without expression or clear intent. 
As I started to reach out for him, he turned and walked into the darkness. I switched on the kitchen light to make sure there was no one there. Why bother showing up if you're just going to leave, I said out loud into the empty kitchen. It's kind of rude. I switched off the light as little tendrils of disappointment wrapped around my chest. I hated that feeling. It was too familiar. The adrenaline was starting to wear off, and exhaustion was setting in behind it. Darren had passed out fully dressed, but at least he had landed in the right place. Drunken asshole or no drunken asshole, I couldn't leave him like that in good conscience, so I checked his breathing, stripped off his jeans, and rolled him on his side before I climbed onto my side of the bed. I was irritated, bordering on angry, but my exhaustion beat all of it. All I wanted was to sleep. The rest of it could wait. Sleeping with a wildly drunk person is rarely easy. They tend to snore loudly and a lot. They sleep in impossible physical positions, often taking their half out of the middle of the bed and contorting their arms and legs into shapes that defy the limits of normal human physiology. It was always worse when cigarettes or shots were involved. Darren had always liked to drink. Actually, we were both highly experienced social drinkers in our 20s. In fact, most of our early dates included a few drinks or a bottle of wine. By this point, however, my physical tolerance for it was waning. I was getting sicker and sicker on fewer and fewer drinks, to the point that sometimes just being in the same room with a full pint was nauseating. Every time I drank, it ended with a brain-splitting migraine or a vomiting extravaganza. Darren's body seemed to go the other way. He was getting more drunk more often and pounding down amounts of micro-brewed beer that should have leveled him. It looked like a problem, but I figured it was just a phase. I was also too nice to banish him to the couch when he'd had too much. Our couch wasn't really a couch at all. It was a love seat that was only half as long as an average human in the scrunchiest of scrunched sleeping positions. It would have been too cruel. But that meant there was little to no escape from the noise or anything that he might do while he was checked out. That particular night, Darren's drunken tango started off as it usually did. I aggressively jockeyed for a tiny sliver of the mattress with a firm ass shove and some small knee and foot jabs, all while anchoring the outer edge of the blanket with my body weight to keep him from pulling it off of me entirely. At some point after all of that, I settled in and drifted off to sleep. At exactly 3.27 a.m., I woke up to an unusual sound that I couldn't quite place in my mind. When I opened my eyes, I was only inches away from the digital clock on my bedside table. My body was exposed and cold. At some point in my sleep, I had apparently succumbed to the tango. There was one tiny corner of the sheet still wrapped around my hands, and the rest of the covers were in a wad at the foot of Darren's side of the bed. As the unusual sound continued, a warm, wet, sprinkling sensation hit my back, and full consciousness crashed into my brain. In one motion, I flipped over in the bed. Darren was on his feet by the bed with one hand in the air and his doughy, beer-ravaged penis in the other as an arching stream of urine spouted out from its tip like a demon cherub on top of some perverse Venetian fountain. Hey! I yelled as I launched myself backwards out of the bed. What the fuck? He kept going and letting out a gleeful hee-hee. Wake up! I yelled. Wake the fuck up! What, he said as the stream ended and he forced out the last few drops. Wake the fuck up! 
Wake the fuck up! Oh my god! Fucking fuck! I screamed and ran down the stairs. My sleep-deprived mind was completely blown out. I ran all the way down the stairs into the basement and grabbed all the dry towels I could find and an entire roll of paper towels. By the time I made it back up the stairs, Darren had stripped the rest of his clothes off and was blotting at the bed with his shirt. Rizzy! Rizzy! He muttered with drunken glee as he dabbed. <laughs> he giggled and dabbed some more. We're going down to Fat Nicky's for the show, he said in full Pittsburghese. Whatever, go shower while I clean this up, I said without controlling my rage at all. No! said in a drunken whisper like there was someone else listening in. What time is it? I don't know, goddammit. Go take a shower, I said even more forcefully. The clock's right there. Can't you read it? He pointed at the clock on my bedside table. Wait, is that clock right? Yup, I barked. It sure is. The piss-splattered man-baby slurring at me in my bedroom had pushed me over the edge. Fucker, I gotta sleep, he said, grabbing the towel from my hands and throwing it on the bed. I'm supposed to be down there in half an hour. He grabbed the rest of the towels off the floor and smashed them on top. Sorry, I'll handle this tomorrow. With that, he threw himself on top of the towel pile and went immediately to sleep. I stood there an unreasonably long time, watching him sleep and contemplating the situation at hand. My doctor husband had just used our bed as a toilet and laughed about it. Actually, it was way worse than that. He used our bed as a toilet, sprayed me with urine, laughed about it, and then went back to sleep. Just fucking great. I was cold. I was angry. My back and my hands were covered in pee. As a general rule, I never used the word pee. I preferred urine or simply the bathroom, as in... I need to use the bathroom, which kept things a little more mysterious. I could even handle calling it piss or, at the very worst, tinkle, but pee was where I drew the line. It was lower than lowbrow and totally trailer, but in that moment, pee was exactly right. I was totally unraveling. This was not what my life was supposed to be. It was all just too much. The smell of urine was getting stronger as the back of my shirt started to dry. I couldn't look at him anymore, so I left him there. I stripped off my clothes and showered until the hot water was gone. When it was done and I had dry, warm clothes on, I sat down at the kitchen table to consider my options. I was so tired. My bed was a giant urinal cake, and for the first time in my life, I felt genuinely old. I stayed up for the rest of the early morning. I drank half my body weight in coffee and started planning my escape. This time, there was no guiding voice in my head. There was no red princess with a horse talking to me in a dream. The gnome wasn't even there to make me feel better. There was just the clicking of the radiator and the jagged sound of my breath there with me, and bottomless amounts of pent-up rage. I spent at least an hour just pacing the kitchen floor and trying to decide what to do. What I came up with wasn't much of a plan. It was more of a gut reaction than an actionable blueprint, but it was a start. I was going to leave. That's all there was to do. This was not the life I wanted. This wasn't even a life that I thought I should have wanted. No, this was something else entirely. I had turned my back on almost everything and everyone I had known before Darren. I had turned my back on myself. 
I had cashed in everything I had been and everything I had ever hoped to be for a drunken piss fountain of a husband. I had been chasing some other girl's fantasy. This wasn't what I thought 32 would look like. I thought I'd have a family by now. I thought I'd have a stable career and the beginnings of a retirement plan. I felt like time was running out. I had to do something to change things. I had to get myself back on track. There was still time to reconfigure. I just needed to be strong. All I had to do was turn my back on the vow that I took before God and everybody and go my own way. It wasn't a big deal. All I had to do was leave. Yes, it would hurt. Yes, I would be the bad guy. But once it was done, Darren could pee on whomever he wanted. Charlene would get her wish, and most importantly, I would be free. It seemed impossible. I switched to English breakfast tea, hoping it would help. Against all reasonable physical odds, Darren got himself up in time to meet Rizzy at the bar by 5 a.m. As wrecked as he had been, I don't know how he did it. When he came down, we didn't speak. I don't even think he knew I was there. I just sat quietly and watched him stumble out the door. The walk to Fat Nicky's was about a mile and was mostly downhill. It was easy in the summer when ice wasn't covering the sidewalk and the steep stairs that wound down Buzzkill Hill. On a dark winter morning like this one, it was a different story. It was treacherous for anyone, and most especially for the inebriated. It's possible that Darren chose to follow the road instead of the stairs. That route would have been just as icy and treacherous with the added complication of the vagrants and the speeding city buses. There was usually a dead body dumped near the Mission Street Bridge every couple of months, but we had already met our corpse quota for that quarter, so at least that was working in his favor. The metal screen door slammed behind him as he left. His boots crunched on the icy snow and faded into the dark as he made his way down the street. He was gone. This was my chance. The time for deep intellectual discourse with myself was over. There was nothing left to consider. There was nothing left to weigh out. I just had to act. It had to be now. Every cell in my body was telling me to move, but I just sat there. I was hesitating. Again. Irrational fear was winning. Again. I went through the plan in my head. Again. All I needed was the bare minimum. Passport, social security card, transcripts, licenses, anything that I thought I couldn't stand to lose, and whatever spare cash I could find. I just had to gather it all together, throw it in my car, and drive off into the sunset. No one would even miss me. In fact, it seemed like everyone involved would be relieved that I was gone. Darren might be hurt for a little while, but it was nothing a couple of beers and a sandwich couldn't fix. Then, as if yanked up out of my seat by some invisible fist, I was on my feet and running. I started with documents and then jewelry. Last but not least, I needed cash. I tore through every old purse, book bag, briefcase, winter coat, and junk drawer in the house, which netted a whopping grand total of $4.16. It was pretty bleak. Then I remembered Darren's jeans from the night before. They were by the bed and covered in urine since they had been well inside the golden splash zone. It was disgusting, but I was determined. Carefully tweezing the wet denim between my fingers, I gingerly rooted around in the pockets. There, in his piss-soaked jeans, I hit pay dirt. 
Between three of the five pockets, I found a 20 and 48 $1 bills. Admittedly, I was a little irked by the denominational breakdown. The 20 I understood, Darren had been out at the bars and probably stopped at an ATM at some point. The 48 ones, however, had to be a different story. It seemed pretty clear that he and Rizzy had been to a strip club, but I couldn't be sure if he forgot to tip his stripper after she slid her vagina down a pole for him, or if 48 $1 bills were all his hairy ass could muster at amateur hour. Either way, the money was there. And since the $4.16, three unused tampons, two hair ties, and five half-melted cough drops that I found were barely enough to buy a good cup of coffee, I had no room to be prissy about it. In less than two hours, everything I thought I couldn't live without and $72.16 in cash were piled on the urine-free part of the bed. The pile was remarkably small. I kept thinking, this can't be it, to myself as I shoved it into a single 9 by 12 manila envelope. It seemed like there should have been more. My mind scanned the rest of the house for anything that was mine alone. There was the desk my parents had bought me when I started chiropractic college, there were photo albums and scrapbooks filled with all the shows I had done and pictures of friends that I didn't have anymore. There were the fabric shears and the sewing machine my grandparents gave me for my 14th birthday. There were all of my notes and books. There were all of the knickknacks and trinkets I had collected. There was the stuffed rabbit my mom had given me for my last show. There was still so much stuff. All the beautiful junk of my life was smashed into rotting cardboard boxes in the basement. I felt all of it squarely in my gut. I hadn't thought about what belonged to me in a very long time. It wasn't just junk or things. It was my life. I hadn't thought about my life like that in a very long time. I put my life aside when I went to school and when I married Darren. Everything that had been mine became ours. From the minute we took our vows, there really wasn't any separation between us anymore. I was not me. He was not him. There was only us. The notion was so romantic at the time. I felt like it was the two of us together against the world and nothing would ever change it. It was totally saccharine and completely unrealistic. I relinquished everything I had ever been to a childish fairy tale notion of love. It wasn't realistic and it had never been real. Now here I was, wavering, unsure of where Darren stopped and I started. Uncertainty was creeping in around the edges of my plan. Now what, I said, out loud to myself. I had been so angry and so sure just minutes before. I had been so completely done with the whole thing that I was ready to walk away and never look back, but the uncertainty short-circuited all of the caffeine and adrenaline. It was making me weak. All I could think about was what tomorrow would be like. How would I feel when I woke up in my parents' spare bedroom if I even made it that far? What then? If I ran away, that would be it. There would be no going back. And what about my practice and my patients? I hadn't thought at all about them. I couldn't abandon them. I could be sued for that. I could lose my licenses for that. Darren had disrespect me in a way that I could not have concocted in my mind on my most creative day. On the other hand, my marriage had been my choice. No one had forced me into it. I picked this. I had made this bed. Now it was my lot to lie in it, for urine or not for urine. 
Fatigue was melting my resolve into a puddle of rationalizations. My life, good or bad, was here. I was not a quitter. I was married. I had taken a vow. Just because I didn't visit God every weekend at church didn't mean that my promise didn't count. A marriage was worth fighting for. Everything that's worth anything took work and sacrifice. At least that's the way I had operated the rest of my life. If I left now, I'd be giving up. I'd be leaving everything behind me. It wasn't just about the things, it was the whole thing. My childhood home was gone. My friends had faded away. Dance and art were my past. This was my present. The screen door clanked and screeched open, and my window of opportunity closed. Darren was home. I had lost track of time somehow. I thought he would be gone for at least a few more hours. Adrenaline shot through my chest. I grabbed the envelope and shoved it into the rusty black filing cabinet under the computer desk. That filing cabinet was full of old bills and statements. He would never look in there. He never dealt with any of that stuff. It would be safe. I would be safe and ready to go when I needed it. Darren called out as the front door closed. I didn't respond. His heavy footsteps hit the stairs. Without thinking, I ripped the covers off the bed and started stripping the sheets. Oh, man, Darren groaned. I was going to go back to sleep. Sorry, I said without looking at him as I threw the mess on the floor at his feet. It wasn't an intentionally bitchy move to pile it all there. It just seemed like it. Did you have to do that right now? He asked with more than a hint of irritation. You knew I was coming back. Yes, right now. Were you really going to sleep on that? I pointed to his side of the bed where the stain was still visible on the mattress pad. Oh, he chuckled. <laughs> yeah, that. It's fine. I can get it later. No, you can't, I said tersely. It needs to happen now. Okay, okay, it's just the sheets. It's not a big deal, he insisted. It's a big fucking deal, I said with unexpected force as I ripped at the mattress pad with more aggression. What the fuck, Darren said sanctimoniously. What the fuck? What the fuck? I'll tell you what the fuck. You fucking urinated on me last night. On the bed, not on you, he said as if it was perfectly reasonable. It was on me, I yelled. It was like the top of my head flipped open and angry word lava poured out. And either way, you still did it right on the bed, our bed, and then you slept in it, and then you left. Fuck! A guttural, yeah, uncontrollably flew out of my mouth. I grabbed the laundry basket from the closet and furiously flung the piss sheets into it. Wait, Darren said rather quietly in comparison to his previous decibel level. I grabbed the basket off the floor without looking at him and headed for the stairs. My head was throbbing, leave, 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 repeated over and over again in my brain like a screaming death metal waltz. Leave, 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 Rah! leave, 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 Wait, Darren said with angry desperation as he grabbed my elbow and pulled me back hard. My shoulders seared with pain. Don't, I yelled, wild-eyed and panting. I yanked my arm out of his grasp, which sent the piss sheets tumbling down the stairs. He had touched me like that only once before. We were at my parents' house not long after the notebook fiasco. There had been lots of crying and arguing in the dark about how my parents had disrespected him or some nonsense like that right after we went to bed. 
As I got up to leave, he grabbed my flannel pajama top and yanked me backward toward the bed. I was strong and pretty good on my feet at the time. I held my stance and heaved my entire body weight away as hard as I could. He pulled. I pulled. He whisper-shouted at me to get back in bed, and I whisper-shouted, no, 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 right back. We went on like this until the flannel gave out and ripped open around his grip, sending me crashing to the floor. The ripping and the crashing and the bruise that he left on the side of my neck with the flannel PJ garrote sent him into spasms of remorse. He said he was sorry that night, the next day, and every day for a week after it happened. He swore he would never do it again. He swore he didn't want to be that guy, and I believed him. I thought it was a fluke. I assumed it was an aberrant reaction to the situation with his mother and the notebook. I let it go as much as I could and buried the rest deep in my memory. It stayed buried until now. Here we were, again. He stared at me with a panicked, gape-mouthed expression that I had never seen on his face before. I stared back with an equal measure of shock and fury. Leave, leave, leave! Leave, leave, leave! Leave, leave, leave! Ah! Hammered on loudly in my head. I let the laundry basket fall to the floor between us and headed for the stairs. Wait, Darren said with even more panic. Wait, please wait! I stopped and turned to face him. You said you would never do that again. I didn't mean it, he said pleadingly. I don't care. He looked wounded. I just didn't want you to walk away. I want to work this out. You said you would never do that again, I said flatly. I know, I know, I'm just tired. I haven't slept, he responded like it was a reasonable excuse. Neither have I. I know, he said with remorse. It was stupid. What part, I asked. Huh? He shot back with irritation. What part of it was stupid, Darren? I need you to be specific, I said. Damn it, Elaine, he said forcefully. You know. Yes, I said with increased calm. I do. I am well aware of every stupid fucking thing that has happened in the last few hours. I need to know that you do too. All of it. All of it was stupid, he shot back with frustration. I'm sorry. I was drunk and I didn't know what I was doing. That wasn't even half of it. I wanted him to say so much more than that. I wanted to unload. I wanted to make him listen to every last detail of every last stupid fucking thing that he had done. I wanted to force him to listen to all of it. But when I opened my mouth, all that came out was, Okay. That's it? Okay? He sounded frustrated. The pause that followed was long and painful. That wasn't it at all. I hadn't even scratched the surface of the sea of shit that I wanted to get off my chest, but I couldn't make the words come out. All I could get out was, That's it. That's all I can do right now. After another eternal pause, Darren said, Okay. I turned and walked down the stairs, collecting the laundry as I went. That morning had been a wild ride. In that moment, I made my choice. I was staying. If I was a coward, then so be it. It just wasn't the right time. If I was leaving, it couldn't be a big show in a fit of emotion. It had to be a clear-headed choice. I had to be sure about it. If I left, that was it. End of story. We never really talked about any of it after that. I cleaned up the mess and got the death metal waltz to stop playing on a loop in my head. 
Darren fell asleep on the tiny sofa. He never said if Fat Nicky's at 5.30 in the morning was worth the effort. I never told him that I almost left him or about my manila escape envelope. We argued a lot. I think we both sensed that things were different. Our whole world seemed to be a slightly different hue. Food tasted different. What passed for laughter was tinged with hesitation and dissatisfaction. Work was less interesting. Four months earlier, we threw caution to the wind and left our jobs. We bought a small practice in an older Pittsburgh suburb across the street from a Walmart for $35,000. Theoretically, we should have been able to pay back the loan we took for it in about a year and still make as much for ourselves as we had been while working for other people. This was the first time I learned that our theories were nothing more than fantasies with poorly researched business plans attached to them. We were so excited and so motivated, but that didn't last. By month four, chiropracticing on our own was just as monotonous as it had been working for other people, only without a guaranteed paycheck. The holidays came and went. The practice was a ghost town for over a month. While people were assaulting each other in the Walmart parking lot with cheap DVD players, we sat alone in our office just across the street. I endured another Christmas with Charlene. That year, my Christmas present tower was almost non-existent, and she wrapped what was there in festive paper that was the perfect solid shade of chemistry notebook green. Everyone else got presents wrapped in paper covered in candy canes and cartoon Santas. I thought maybe she might sing some journal-entry Christmas carols for everyone, or send highlights from my journal out with the Danky family Christmas card so that all of her friends could see what she had been up to, but she didn't. At least that year, I got to go home to my own bed every night when the festivities were over. As for our bed, we were still sleeping on the same urinal cake mattress. We were way too broke to afford a new one, and I had two choices. Live with it, or sleep on the floor.